whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Brought to you by Rock Antenna, Germany's number one rock radio station. Well, congratulations to uh, your records, I have to say, because a couple of weeks ago you released uh, uh, the Atlas Underground Fire. In two weeks' time, there's going to be the Atlas Underground Flood. I expect none less than three more records before Christmas. <laughs> uh, in, in that regard, you might be disappointed. This was a, uh, <laughs> this was uh, uh, you know, these were, these were my plague records. You know, these were the albums that were made, you know, during lockdown, um, in addition to two EPs as well, the Catastrophes yeah. and the uh, um, Commandante. And, you know, this was the, this was the, the fruits of my labors, you know, during a very, very sort of troubled time. And it's a, uh, you know, the, the creative process, the way I look at it, it's not just about creation, it's about self-creation. And during a time like this, it's, it was really an ability to, to hang on to who I am as a musician, try mm -hmm. to push forward my artistry and guitar playing, and try to retain some semblance of sanity during a time that felt kind of insane. How did you, I mean, you actually made songs with more guests than I know persons. Uh, it, it started with the first record. Was there any chance of you guys recording together or was it all just separated? It was all set with, with a couple of exceptions. The song yeah. with Grandson, we had actually recorded right before lockdown um, right. or a little time before lockdown. But really it was a, it was a, it was a lifeline, you know, and the, the, doing this record, it was not so much like, Hey, I want to make some records. It was an antidepressant, you know, yeah. and yeah. Um, during the first four months or so, like I have a studio at my home, but I don't know how to use it. You know, normally there's an engineer who's here. I'm playing, I'm doing the music and somebody else is recording it. I don't know how to record it. So for the first four months of, of lockdown, I was at a complete impasse. It was really depressing. Like I thought at that, at that point, we had no idea when there might be music again. And I was like, you know, am I done as a musician now? And so help came from an unexpected source. I read an, uh, an interview with Kanye West where he said he had recorded the vocals to a couple of his hit albums onto the voice memo of his phone. So I just started recording guitar riffs into the voice memo of my phone and then sending them to producers and engineers and other artists around the world. And they sounded fucking great. And all of a sudden I was like, there's a path here, you know? Yeah. Um, and so while I was completely alone writing these, uh, creating music, I created this kind of global network of rock and roll pen pals. And each day, during a time where every day felt exactly the same, there was always this unexpectedness. I'd come up here, I'd record, you know, three, four, five, six riffs and just think to myself, who might I like to work with? Sometimes it was old friends, you know, like Bruce Springsteen or Refused or Damian Marley. Sometimes it was something I'd just been surfing around on Spotify or a friend of mine might recommend, you know, Femme was an artist like that or Sama Abdul Hadi I just read about um, in the New York Times. And I'd just reach out kind of and go, hey, This is Tom Morello. You want to make us, what are you doing on a Tuesday? You want to make a song? <laughs> <laughs> Now, when you, when you get all those artists, and uh, uh, I know you've been friends with Bruce Springsteen, you toured with him and everything, but still, you know, to get his time, uh, wasn't there not the idea that you say like, well, let, let's just not record one song. Let's do a couple of songs. With you yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I like the idea of having the individual like creating this kind of global map of collaborators, which it really it really did become. And um, I mean, the Bruce and Eddie Vedder song we had we had some experience playing that song together in in 2014 mm -hmm. in Australia when I was touring with the E Street Band. 
we had, you know, I had visited Bon Scott's grave one night and was inspired and, and asked Bruce if he wanted to want to think about maybe the E street band and ACDC overlapping in some way. And, and we started rehearsing highway to hell, you know, a couple of sound checks and we found ourselves in a huge football stadium in Melbourne and Eddie Vedder happened to be in town. And we opened up the show with highway to hell with both of them singing. I mean, it was this apex moment of just awesome tribal connectedness and 80,000 people going absolutely crazy. So I reflected on that moment at a time where nobody was going crazy together. There was no yeah. tribal rock and roll experience. We were all just sort of alone and, and miserable. And I thought maybe let's try to re remember that moment of what it was like, as Ernest Hemingway said, to live all the way up, you know? And so I, you know, hit up Bruce. I'm like, you remember back and we did this song and I put the track together and, you know, he sounds like the damn king of rock and roll, you know, like, and then Eddie was in, I, I got Bruce on first and Eddie did it. So that's the way that one happened. But there was a million different ways that these songs came together. Yeah. But the overall purpose was just trying to one, retain sanity and two, to push myself as an artist during a time where the avenues that we would normally do were closed. Are songs on those records where you felt like that was a really difficult one to write? But I did it. Oh, I mean, I mean, some more, some, so there were journeys on them. Um, yeah. Let me try, try uh, yes, I'd say probably one of the songs that was most difficult to write for an unusual reason was Naraka with Mike Posner. Um, Mike, who's a great young artist who I discovered during this, during this time, between the beginning of the recording of the song and the end of the final mix, he summited Mount Everest. <laughs> for real, he summited Mount Everest. And so while I would be sending him mixes and he's like, dude, I'm at 25,000 feet above sea. I can barely breathe. I don't have time. I'm like, you need to listen to the mix. <laughs> <laughs> so that one was difficult. Also, this, the song, you know, On the Shore of Eternity with Sama Abdul Hadi, she mixed that song during the Israeli bombing of Palestine. So there'd be mm -hmm. days where she was, you know, like I'd be, I couldn't get in touch with her. And she'd like, you know, I'm in hiding. I'm like, oh my gosh. So uh, there were some circumstances that caused difficulty in, in the recording of some of these songs, but, but the journey of making them was one that was really life-saving, sanity-saving for me. How did you decide which songs are going to end up on fire and which ones are going to end up on flood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was, this, it was this kind of mass of music to begin with, that I was without sort of a particular idea of what records it was going to be. Some of those songs that I did with Bloody Beat Roots became the Catastrophist EP, a song that I did with Slash and some stuff that was uniquely kind of guitar hero oriented became the Commandante EP. And then I had this wealth of material um, that I was like, it, to me, it felt like my stab at London Calling, the Clash's great record, where it's a record that has a uniformity of purpose mm -hmm. that is not tied to genre. You know, and so this Fire and Flood record, they really are a double album that are separated because in this day and age, it's you can't put out a double album because you know, it's just like that's not that's not a model that works in 2021. <laughs> uh, but they really are a double album, and it's just a it was, you know, I take very I know in this day and age, people listen to singles and they listen to whatever the most play. I really take seriously the art of an album, and I spend a lot of time overthinking the track listing, and this one flows into that one. And, you know, if someone's willing to take the time to experience it that way, trust me, there's been countless hours put into, you know, sort of <laughs> curating that experience for you. And for me on these records, on each of the records, there's three lanes of songs with the totality of Fire and Flood. One is the songs that you might expect on a 
Tom Morello record. There are political songs that are, that are referencing the issues of the day and the deeper issues of solidarity from Hold the Line to the Achilles List. Then there are songs that, that I think in order to connect have to be authentically reflect the experience of your time making them. And that mm-hmm. was a very different experience. And the songs like um, The War Inside with Chris Stapleton and Hard Times uh, with Jim Jones and um, Nathaniel Retliff and uh, the Driving uh, to Texas song. But then, importantly for me, there are instrumentals. Both records start and end with an instrumental song. Mm-hmm. And it's an assertion that the electric guitar is the greatest instrument ever created by humankind and that it's a, that it but also that it is an instrument that has a future and not just a past. Yeah. You know, so for me, it was like, I'm locked down. Like, I'm not, a, am I a musician? Because every day I was like, I'm a plumber. I'm a window fixer. I'm a dishwasher. I'm all, you know, like we all, all were. I'm a, I'm a medic, you know, I'm a teacher, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a drunk. I'm like, you know, all the stuff that we were. Uh, and I wanted to also say beyond any shadow of a doubt, I'm a guitarist. Yeah. And I wanted both records to start and end with that assertion. I don't know how you're going to go on with this because it seems to me like almost a kind of a pity to have those records and all those songs. But then again, after like everything, hopefully it's going to get better. You just sort of shelf them. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't you? Aren't you? I mean, how can, you know, I think there's what, this would be just a monster of logistics doing anything live with this. Right, 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 right. Well, I did with, with the first Atlas Underground record that came out in 2018 that had 20 collaborators on it, you know, from Wu-Tang Clan to, you know, like a a ninth party. It was this kind of crazy uh, bunch of, to Marcus Mumford. And I was determined to tour that record. I thought it was really going to take a different way of looking at touring. So I I called up a fellow by the name of Sean Evans. He's the guy who's the artistic director for the last two Roger Waters tours. He was the artistic director for the Nice one. Yes, yeah, for the I saw both, I saw both. (laughs) Yeah, and for us and them, right? So I was like, that guy knows what he's doing. So we just sat down over the course of some months. I said, here's the challenge is I've got these songs, but I'm not going to tour with any of these artists. And we put together a really compelling show. It was one part like Barbara Kruger art installation, one part illegal rave, one part heavy metal mosh pit in a way that was really challenging for me and an excellent way to present music and have a point of view across that didn't require Wu-Tang Clan and Marcus Mumford being on a tour bus for, you know, six months. So, um, <laughs> so there is a way to do this in a very compelling yeah. way. But I'm, I look at these records as like, these are the plague records. I'm looking forward to putting them out in the world. I have no plans to tour, tour behind them. I'm hopeful of doing Rage Against the Machine touring, you know, in 2022 um, and going on a different track. But this, these records were really, really meaningful to me and really life-saving. And I think it's some of my best work. Certainly some of my best riffs and guitar solos are scattered across these records. Which uh, artist uh, didn't you get? Ah, one that I've really chased hard uh, and we got had the beginnings of like a, a thing but never was post malone I, all right all right i have a feeling that that's like you know his fir- you know what his first show was that he ever went to his first show his dad took him to see corn that was his first show you know so he's got a lot of like rock in him i thought that the combination of my massive riffs and if we tapped into that end of him but with his sort of melodic sense could be something that would be impact didn't happen Ah, sorry. There's still time. There's still time. (laughs) Well, you wrote so many songs for these records. I think many fans out there would wonder if you actually wrote as many Rage Against the Machine songs for the future. No. (laughs) 
I mean, first of all, it's like, with regard with regards to any Rage Against the Machine stuff, it's bet like, like I don't speak for Rage Against the Machine. And like, if all four of us were here, we could answer that question. But but this is you know these were the songs that I wrote during lockdown. What was the most challenging collaboration for you? Where you first thought maybe oh this is gonna go gonna work pretty pretty smooth, but then it didn't. That's a good question. I would say the one song that, that, that took a long time to finish and it was worth it was the Bring Me the Horizon song. Okay. Um, Ali, the singer, was in Brazil and the rest of the band was in England and I was in Los Angeles. So it was thousands of miles of, you know, transferring files and this, that, and the other. And, and they were in the middle of like making a record. I'm doing all this other stuff. So it would be like, you know, we would pick it up and we'd put it down. We'd pick it up, we'd put it like, here's some ideas, what do you think of this? I like this one, but let's rework it. It just, you know, over the course of, I don't even know what the geography is of that. It's got to be like 10,000 miles altogether, you know, going between those three studios. Um, but it ended up one of my favorite songs, you know, like, it's a song that's really connected with people too. It's kind of an ode to the once and future mosh pit. <laughs> it's almost like a personal note on the side. We have... Our station has uh, uh, made and opened up its own Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And you are uh, one of the people that uh, the listeners can vote for as being the best guitarist. Now, is something like this uh, still an honor for you? Oh, sure. Or do you, do you go like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, I have so many, you know? You know oh, no, 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 no. You're no, no, among no. the top 40 guitarists of all time, you know, according yeah, yeah, to the Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm always genuinely and deeply appreciative of, you know, stuff that comes from, from the fans. I never take that for granted. You know, like, just like the, the way I look at it is like, you know, you grow up in a place where there's a certain number of people. And of those people that live there, a small percentage of them ever pick up an instrument, right? Yeah. And a smaller percentage still of those that pick up an instrument ever get any good at it. And of those people, a tiny percentage ever, like, even form a band. And of those yeah. that form a band, very, 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 very few of those are any good. And of the ones that are any good, a tiny percentage of those ever get a record deal. And of that tiny percentage to get a record deal, the tiniest percent ever sell a bunch of records. Yeah. And of those that you're talking about 30 years later, it's, it's a handful. You know what I mean? And so I'm very, very deeply appreciative of You know, like I never take for granted, like I just, I just love playing guitar, you know, um, and here we are, you know, 22 records and 30 years later, you know, being on, um, it's an honor to just be on the, the list. So I'll say that. I will say this too about, about my experiences in Deutschland and like some of my favorite live moments of music ever have happened in Germany and uh, over the course of, over the span of that 30 years, I just want to say yeah. that I am really grateful uh, and appreciative of the German fans who have just been so incredible and supportive and have gone so crazy at show from big shows, to little show from, you know, from rage to night watchman shows, to audio slave shows, to profits of rage shows. like the, some of the, my best experiences playing music have happened in Deutschland. So no problem. You're welcome. Well, I've been there when you supported suicidal tendencies on your first tour. So I saw that and uh, it was what like... What was the venue? What city and what venue? Uh, it was the Nachtwerk in Munich. Okay. In Germany. And this, they, they put out flyers before when we get into the, to the venue, which said, the newest rock sensation from LA, Rage Against the Machine, and you know, whatever, and that the, the record is going to come out soon and blah. And you know, you know how you are. You go like, 
Whatever. And then you sit there and you, you watch this and go like, what just happened? You know, nobody, <laughs> nobody really knew. But this was uh, what I wanted to ask you again, uh, um, uh, what I forgot. The athlete, on both those records, they cover a lot of musical grounds. Matt, I know that this is something personal that you wanted to do and do all the different collaborations. But, you know, speaking, do you think that fans can actually relate to everything that you did there? Because the, the musical styles vary so much. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would, I would have to say, honestly, that's not a consideration. You know, I've, I, honestly, I've always made music that I love, and for, and and of course, like someone who gets off on the "Bring Me the Horizon" song, may their ears may not be attuned. Like my tastes are pretty diverse and varied, and you know what yeah. I mean. And there are some bands that sound great in one way, like ACD. Yeah. There's a very funny quote. Angus Young was once asked by a snarky journalist. He said, so uh, you've made uh, 11 ACDC records that sound exactly the same. And Angus was like, that's bullshit. We've made 12 records that sound exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> Legend. <laughs> yeah. And then, there, and, then the, and then there are artists, you know, whether it's like Led Zeppelin or The Clash, that like are comfortable keeping their identity but expanding well beyond what they're originally known for. And so, yeah, it's like, you know, someone who loves the Bring Me Horizon song may have a different opinion about the Chris Stapleton song or the Sama Abdul Sahani song. I love all of them, and it's a way to be exposed to different music, to grow. It's a way to push my guitar playing. What I'm in it for is to be fully present and creative as an artist in the work that I do. Yeah. The end. Yeah. <laughs> Very last question. Do you have sort of like a five-year plan? What's going to go and come? What's going to be ahead? What's going to be in the new future? That's a future? good question. Well, I mean, certainly with, I had never planned on these last two years being, no, yeah. being, being what they were. You know what I'm saying? And so it is, it is having re, now having released the totality of this music, so many songs during this time, it's time to just sort of figure it out. You know, there's a number of, I got to tell you, I've really loved playing so much electric guitar and really sort of feel like I'm, as an electric guitarist and soloist, I'm at, you know, at the top of my gate. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm playing as well as I've ever played. I also always feel that itch and that urge to, I love doing the, the acoustic records and I love doing the night watchman stuff. And I love per doing music for the explicit purpose of changing the world, you know, and like having my life be about being in places where people are changing the world and adding my voice to that. I also love huge stadium concerts, you know, and playing with, bands that do that, you know, whether it's Rage or Bruce Springsteen, it was like, there's nothing like that experience, you know? Yeah. So all of those things are sort of in play and we'll, and we'll see. Thank you very much for talking to us and uh, have a good day. Hopefully see you soon. I hope so too. I really hope so too. <laughs> Fingers crossed. All right. Feeling done. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Subscribe to our channel for more rockin' podcasts.